I'm so glad you're here. We have come to the end of this series uh, that we've been walking through for the past eight weeks on the seven I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. And before we tackle the very last one, I just want to quickly give you a picture, a recap of all of the statements that Jesus has made all throughout the gospel of John up until this final one, um, beginning in chapter six. With the very first statement that Jesus made, he said, I am the bread of life. Then in chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. Chapter 10, I am the door or the gate. You remember the picture of the sheepfold. And then in that same chapter, same discourse, same description, he says, I am the good shepherd. Then in chapter 11... At the raising of Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then when his disciples found out in chapter 14 that he was leaving them, and they said, Lord, how do we know how to go where you're going? We don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. I hope that just looking over that list that you can recall different things that that we've mentioned, maybe different truths in each one of those messages that the Lord just just amplified for you and highlighted in your life. um, But today we're going to look at the seventh statement, and it's in um, John chapter 15. Um, But in looking over all of these statements, we can see that Jesus was doing a couple of things. One, in each and every one, he was, he was establishing and claiming his divinity as God and his unity with the Father. But then also, he was showing us the character of God. He was showing us his character as the Messiah. That each one of those characteristics, each one of those descriptions shows us a different aspect of his character and how he loves us, how he cares for us, and how he provides for us. He was revealing to all of the Jews and to the people who were listening. And we saw throughout all of these that many, many people didn't understand. They didn't get it when he would make these statements. Because they had their own idea of who God was. They had their own picture of, of who they thought God was, who they thought the Messiah was supposed to be. And Jesus came to show them that, that many of those ideas were wrong. They had ascribed their own ideas to him through their system of religion. And we can do that. We can ascribe our own ideas about who Jesus is and who God is based on the system of religion that we can establish and create for ourselves. And that's not what we want. We don't want to, we don't want to experience God through a religion. We want to experience God through a relationship. And... So this is what chapter 15 is going to focus on. And this last I am statement, to me, almost takes all of the characteristics of all of the previous ones and sort of wraps them up and unifies them together in this last I am statement. So it's in chapter 15, so the setting is the same as last week. I told you last week in chapter 14, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's just told them that he's about to leave. This is the night before his crucifixion. This is the last opportunity that he will have before he dies on the cross 
to be able to sit together with them and teach them. And so I told you there's five chapters in John's gospel that's dedicated to this time that he spends with them. And this is another I am statement that he makes in the midst of that conversation. So look at the very beginning of John chapter 15. The first thing that Jesus says, beginning in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Now, this is another one of those times where Jesus uses for his audience when he said this, something that's very familiar to them that they would have known, had some knowledge about. People like me who will read this have no idea. Uh, I have no idea about how to tend a vineyard, how to plant a vineyard, what to do with a vineyard, how to get fruit off of a vineyard. I, I have no idea. I have zero knowledge about that at all. So we have to kind of read and study and figure out you know, what kind of context is there. But this is something that they would have been very familiar with. Vineyards in this part of the world... In this time period, were really important. Vineyards would have been a part, a, a huge part of the agriculture of the time in the region. It produced income for them. It produced food. It produced drink. And I also think that vineyards symbolized in the culture. Vineyards were places where people celebrated. Uh, vineyards had the connotation of celebration and joy. Um, and they were often a part of celebrations and maybe even locations where, where celebrations would take place. And so this imagery of the vine is something that Jesus knew they would be familiar with. But there's also an imagery to this that I want to show you as we look at what Jesus says here that goes back to the Old Testament. Um, the image of the vine was also used in the Old Testament by God to symbolize the nation of Israel. And the role that the nation of Israel, that God wanted or, or, or gave them an opportunity to play in the history of him rolling out his kingdom. Um, in Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9, look at these words. It says, you dug up a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared a place for it. It took root and filled the land. Now, those verses are talking about the nation of Israel because what did God do when they were captive in Egypt? He went and delivered them. He delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. He brought them to the promised land, the, the nations who inhabited the promised land. He gave them commands and instructions to drive those people out. He reserved it for them and he brought them into their place, cleared a place for them and, and they took root and filled the land and he gave them a land and God had chosen Israel to be his people. And they were supposed to be his vine. He had given them the opportunity to be the vine through which he would bring his kingdom into the world through Israel as a chosen nation. But that wasn't the case because Israel proved themselves to be disobedient. 
Israel was disobedient and they were unfaithful to God because they were constantly chasing after other gods and disobeying his law and he was constantly bringing them back and then they would, they would repent for a little while and then they would turn away from him again. And that's the pattern that we see all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah, there's, there's a lament in Isaiah chapter 5 that I want us to read. It's kind of long, but I want you to see. This is probably the clearest um, description of, of Israel's failure in being the vine of, of God's kingdom. Um, look in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. We'll put it on the screen, but you can turn in your Bibles if you want. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. I will sing about the one I love. A song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah... Please judge between me and my vineyard. What, could, what more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you what I'm about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wine press. I will make it a wasteland. I'm sorry. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He expected justice but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. How devastating that the prophet says, and when, if you go back through and read that in detail, you can see instances where these were prophecies that very shortly were fulfilled. Literally, when he says that I will remove its hedge and, and will tear down its wall, what happened? to the city of Jerusalem. The walls were destroyed and torn down. So this is a symbol that the disciples would have understood. This is a language that when Jesus starts talking about the vine, being students of, of the Old Testament, they would have known that, that God had called out the nation of Israel to be the vine, but they failed and they weren't able to be the vine. And so Jesus, those first words, that first I am statement in John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. That in essence, he's saying there was a vine that was before me, and it was the nation of Israel. And, and my father planted the nation and his people there, but they proved themselves to not be the true vine because they were unfaithful. And so I've come from my father as the true vine to reveal the kingdom that your ancestors were not able to reveal because of their unfaithfulness. 
So Jesus identifies himself as the true vine. And then he says, my father is the gardener or the vine dresser. And you say, well, what is the job of the vine dresser? What does, what does he do? Well, if Jesus is the vine, the father is the one who, who plants and fertilizes and waters the vine. He, he, he cares for it and he prunes it. So Jesus, in verse 2, says that there are two types of branches. There are two types of branches that can be associated with the vine. There are living branches and there are dead branches. So now in these verses in John 15, he's going to begin to, to kind of unpack and show them the difference. How do we know the difference between the living branches that are connected to the vine and the dead ones? Who he says, my father, who is the gardener, will, will cut off. And throw away. Look at verse 3 in John 15. He says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Now it just, it just kind of knocked me over as I was studying through all of these I am statements and we get to this last one, this last time that he's sitting together with his disciples he knows that he's about to leave you remember and they're kind of panicking and they don't know what they're going to do but he's he's trying to prepare them for what's to come and in this last I am statement he not only makes an I am statement but immediately after it in verse 5 he follows his I am with a you are and we've not we've not seen that that way so far, but but this is this is this last time together with them, and he wants them to really be clear, and he wants them to understand that they're going to be called to be the branches of him as the vine, and he knows that they're going to be called to do things that they'll never be able to do on their own, and so he wants them to understand where their power will come from, where their life will come from, because he they're just the branches. But he's the vine. So he's talking to the disciples. And obviously he says, you are, you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He's identified them as ones who are branches that are connected to the vine. And so because he's talking to them, I want us to focus on, I'm going to give you three characteristics that I think are in this text that show, that, that are proof of true living branches. And you say, well, how, how is it that we know the difference? Well, Jesus is going to describe what the true living branches look like as opposed to the ones who are dead. So it's very clear. Here's the very first one. First characteristic of living, true living branches is that they bear fruit. 
Very simple. And, and Jesus mentions this in verse 2, in verse 4, in verse 5. And this is a really simple illustration that we shouldn't try to overcomplicate. Anybody can see living branches bear fruit, dead ones don't. Very simple. And this is what Jesus is saying. When we are saved, when we are in Christ and we come into a relationship with him, we are connected to him as the vine is connected to the branches. And the vine becomes the life source of all of the fruit that comes off the branch. Do you see? The fruit doesn't come from the branch. The life for the fruit that comes off of the branch comes through the vine. So without the vine, the branches have no way of producing fruit. So the ones that are connected will bear fruit. The ones that are not connected to the vine won't bear fruit. So when we're saved, we begin to bear fruit for the kingdom of God through our connection to him. We bear fruit through our obedience to him. And we also bear fruit through his pruning of us. And Jesus talks about this. So if there's no connection, there's no fruit. So if you look at a branch that doesn't bear fruit, what does that tell you about its connection to the vine? That, that there's something wrong with it. Or it's not connected at all. It may be hanging there. It may be attached to it some way but there's no connection of life and I think based on what Jesus says here in this passage that we can safely come to the conclusion that there really is no such thing as a fruitless Christian if this is a picture of our relationship with Jesus and Jesus says if the branch is connected to the vine, it will produce fruit. And the only branches that don't produce fruit are the ones that are not connected to the vine. If we are truly saved and we are in a relationship with him, fruit will grow. I, I think it's inconsistent to say, well, I'm a believer. I'm connected to Jesus truly, but there's no fruit. Because what that says is if that calls into question the vine. If I am connected to the vine, yet my branch bears no fruit at all, that means that there's something wrong with the vine. And we know good and well, it's very clear there's no fault in the vine of Jesus. There's no inadequacy in him. There's no lack of power in him to accomplish what he wills. And so if there's a lack of fruit in my life, it's not the vine's fault. It's because there's not a connection. I'm not really connected to the vine. And so true believers will produce fruit. This is the principle. Now you say, well, how does that happen? We produce fruit through our relationship with Jesus, through our obedience to him, our desire to obey him. But then also we produce fruit because... The father, as the vine dresser, also prunes the living branches. The dead branches, he says, my father will cut off and throw away. 
and discard because they're useless. They're, they're, they're no good. There's no use for them. But, but the living ones, he says, are pruned. They're not removed, but they're pruned. Which means it's not that, that God doesn't cut on us as branches, but when you remove a branch, you cut it off at the source of life. But not when you prune something. Some of you are experienced. Some of you can grow things. I can't grow anything. Anything I try to grow is going to die. So I know nothing. But some of you I know have experience with like trees and plants and you have gardens and things like that. And you know that this is true. That if you have bushes or trees and things like that, if you want them to grow to their optimal health, part of that process is to prune them. But when you prune them, you cut them off at the, at, at the ends where the, where the fruit is bare, not, not at the source. And so there are moments in our life when God will prune us for growth, not for removal. There's something about vineyard keepers in the first century that I read that's probably a little different from us. When we... Uh, when, when we farm or when we do anything in the West, we're all about quantity, aren't we? We're all about volume. Like we want, uh, for us, if, if I was a, you know, I'm a 21st century American, if I had a vineyard, I, I would probably want to be all about volume. Let, let's make as much fruit as we can make. But in the Middle East, volume was not the, the biggest concern it was quality. And so a vineyard keeper may cut some fruit off in particular places to make way for better quality fruit to grow. Does that make sense? And so I believe that if we're connected to Jesus as the vine, that we will produce fruit, but sometimes... We need to be pruned. Our lives need to be pruned because sometimes there may be things growing off of our branches that are keeping our fruit from being as full and as, as beautiful as it's supposed to be. And so there are branches or things that may grow off of me or grow out of my life that the vine dresser has to come along and prune and cut those off. Why? Because he's, he's trying to cultivate good fruit from me. And so that happens. We go through difficult times when we sin. God will discipline us. Sometimes those branches that come off of us are, are, is sin in our life. And they will come off and that sin, that branch of sin might be sucking the life out of the fruit that, that God is trying to produce in us. And so he will come through in discipline and say, I'm going to cut that off. I'm going to cut that out of your life. He'll do it through pain. He'll do it through suffering sometimes. He'll do it through hardship. C.S. Lewis talked about it. C.S. Lewis, I think, once said that, that pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That many times he will use that in our lives. But the characteristic of one who is connected to the vine is you will 
bear fruit. The second characteristic of the living vine is that they, or the living branches, that they remain in Jesus. They remain. Um, or your Bible may use the word abide in me. Look at verses 6 and 7. Let's just keep reading. But we'll go back and, and reference some of the stuff we've read already. Verse 6 says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Now, Jesus emphasizes this concept of remaining in him, abiding in him. And he says it in verse 4. If you go back, he says, remain in me in verse 4. He says it again in verse 5. He says it again in verse 6. And he says it again in verse 7. Remain in me. He says it four times over those four verses. So we know that this is a key element of what it means to be connected to him. To abide, that, that Greek word means to stay or to continue to be. Like a, an enduring, there's an enduring nature to our relationship with Jesus. We stay attached. The, the branches that are living, the branches that are vibrant, the ones that are producing fruit, don't just fall off the tree. They stay. They're firm. They're connected to the vine. Um, John chapter 8 verse 31 earlier in the gospel Jesus makes this statement. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him if you what? Continue in my word you really are my disciples. There were all sorts of people following Jesus. There were all sorts of people going after him and following him from place to place. But what did Jesus even say when he talked about the way, the truth, and the life? When we looked in Matthew chapter 7, I think it was, when Jesus says there's a wide road that lots of people are going down and then there's a small road with a narrow gate that only a few people are going to find. There are lots of people who, who talk about Jesus and say they love Jesus and who follow Jesus and who go to church and do all of these things. But he says, you, you prove to be my disciples when you continue in my word. When there's an endurance in that relationship. See, the dead branches, he talks about the dead branches that, that you cut off and you throw away and burn. The dead branches aren't dead because he cuts them off. The 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 vine dresser doesn't cut off the living branches. So, so don't, don't think this is a picture of God just taking everybody who's connected and just picking and choosing, well, I'm going to disconnect you, I'm going to cut you off, I'm going to cut you off. The, only, the vine dresser only cuts off the ones that are dead, which means they're not really connected. They may be attached, but there's no life in them. There are lots of people that have attached themselves to Jesus. But they're dead branches. 
We know also that Jesus talked about in the Gospel of Matthew the, the parable of the soils. And we've talked about that before. How the sower sows, sows the gospel. And that some of the ground that the seed falls on sometimes is, is shallow and rocky. And, and there's a response immediately. When the seed falls, there's a, there's a response. The heart receives it quickly and there's a, and there's a, a, a response but because there's no depth of soil, because the, their heart just wasn't quite ready, what happens to the plant that grows? It dies very quickly. It doesn't remain. And Jesus says there's a difference. They're cut off because they've proven themselves not to be attached to the vine because there was no fruit. That enduring nature of the life of a true believer is a picture of us holding on to the vine for dear life. It's not that we're perfect. And it doesn't mean that fruitful branches don't, don't fail sometimes. Um, this isn't a picture of perfection because we all fail to remain in Jesus all the time, don't we? There's seasons of my life and times in my life that I've, I've intentionally tried to pull away from the vine, tried to separate myself. But the difference between the heart of, a, of someone truly connected to the vine is you can't, you can't pull away from it. it the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit always pulls you back. But for the life of someone who, who is consistently disconnected from the vine to the place where there's no fruit growing. Jesus says that's a dead vine. And there's no true connection. There's no relationship that, that draws them back in, that connects, that, that begins to, to grow fruit again. Jesus makes a promise also in verse 7 that if we're not careful, we can read it like a blank check. Right? Verse 7 in John 15, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Well, that sounds great. That sounds like a blank check to me. If I'm truly connected to Jesus, if I'm saved, if I have a relationship with him, I can ask him for whatever I want and he'll give it to me. No, we can't understand it that way. We have to understand that statement in line with what he says right before that. The passage is talking about what it means to remain in him, to abide in him. And so when he says, what he means here is that if you are abiding in me, if you are connected to the vine and you're, you're getting your life from the vine and the fruit that's coming out of your life is from the life that's in the vine, you will find yourself being grafted into the life of the vine. When you are a branch connected to the vine, your life and the life of the vine are all wrapped up and interwoven together. So the life of a believer that's connected to Jesus, abiding in him, you know what happens to our desires and the things that we ask for? They're wrapped up in in the life of Jesus. They're wrapped up in his will. My will is wrapped up in his. My desires are wrapped up in his because I'm abiding in him. 
And so Jesus says, when you're abiding in me and you come to me and you bring your requests and you ask for things, I'm glad to give them to you because your life is wrapped up in mine. And what you want becomes what I want. And what my will is becomes what your will is. And so you bring things to me and you ask me to accomplish them. And they're wrapped up in who I am and my will. And my answer is always going to be yes. This isn't a picture of someone that's just going to God like Santa Claus. Here's what I need. Here's what I want, God. You give it to me. You said you would. We have to ask in his name, in line with his will, in the context of a, of a relationship with him. And he says, if your words remain, if my words remain in you, he's talking about his commands and his instructions. That if we are, if, if we are disciplining ourselves in following his command and his instructions for our life and we're letting his life and the word control our life, then because his word abides in us, so will our desires be in line with his word. So will our requests be in line with his word. And anytime we ask something that's in line with his will and in line with his word, he says yes. So here's the third characteristic of the living branch. The living branches glorify the Father. The living branches bear fruit. The living branches remain in Jesus. They abide in him, endure, even through the pruning. And then they glorify the Father. Look at John 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this. So meaning, what I'm about to tell you is what glorifies my Father. That you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The theme of everything in the universe is the glory of God. Everything. Everything that he's created, everything that he's put into place, everything that exists, because everything that exists was made by him and there's not anything that, that exists that wasn't made by him. John chapter 1. So everything is for the glory of God. Everything about me, everything in me, outside of me, everything about my life is wrapped up in the glory of God. So when we're connected to Jesus as a fruitful branch of the living vine, the glory of all of the fruit that comes off of our branch goes back to him. Because all of the life comes from the vine. He's already said, because apart from me, you can't do anything. You go cut a branch off the apple tree and wait on it to grow fruit, it's not going to work. It's not going to produce anything because it can't produce it on its own. It has to be connected to the main vine. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. Romans chapter 15. Listen to what Paul says about his life. You think about a fruitful life in the kingdom... There's not many more people that we could think of that would be greater than the Apostle Paul when we think about a life that bears fruit for Jesus, bears fruit for God. This is what he said in Romans 15. Therefore, I have reason to boast in what? In me? No. In Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. Verse 18. For I would not dare say anything 
accept what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. He says, anything that's come out of my life that has resulted in the Gentiles, the people who weren't a part of that original vine, because Jesus has come as the true vine, he's opened it up even to the Gentiles and said, look, you weren't a part of that first vine that didn't, that didn't measure up, that was unsuccessful. And so now I've come and I'm going to invite you to be grafted into the vine. You can now be a part of the true vine in a way that you couldn't before. And Paul says, I wouldn't dare say anything about anything that's been accomplished to bring the Gentiles into being grafted into the vine apart from what Jesus has done in me. Because he understood what Jesus meant when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is what this is what a connected vine looks like. This is, this is the characteristic. So, if, Corey, if, if you could put those three points back up there, I want you to just look at those for a moment and consider and ask the Lord to show you, do these three things characterize my life as a believer in Christ? Do I see that there is fruit coming out of my life? And am I aware that that fruit that comes out of my life has very little to do with me and my effort? It has to do with my obedience and my abiding in Jesus, which is number two. But you know that whatever fruit comes off of your branch isn't yours. You didn't produce it. You didn't make it. It comes from the vine. Can I see fruit to bear in my life? Is there an, is there an assurance in my relationship? Is there a, a longevity, a lasting nature to my faith in Jesus? Or was my faith in Jesus something that was short and temporary and then all evidence of it just disappeared? And then... Is there glory for God coming out of my life? Am I, am I a, a reflection of his glory? Am I faithful when good things happen? Am I faithful to, to return the glory for those things back to him? Or am I selfish? Am I trying to hoard up glory for myself? Am I trying to just gather my kingdom together? Or am I, am I glorifying the Father? in the way I'm living and serving and remaining close to him. Jesus said to his disciples that they would show themselves to be his by the fruit that they bore. And he knew that there were days to come that there would be fruit that came from their life that, that they couldn't make on their own. It was going to have to come from him. The question I, I want to challenge you to consider this morning is, who does the fruit of your life show you to be? This is the question. 
the question of, am I, am I really connected to Jesus? Am I really a branch that is bearing fruit that comes from the life of the vine? What does my fruit say about me? Am I a branch that is connected and hanging on to Jesus for dear life as the true vine? Or am I a dead branch that Jesus says one day will eventually be cut off and thrown away and tossed into the fire? Difficult words, but true words. 